Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to Matthew chapter 5, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. We're in a series. Today is the fourth part of this series entitled Mo Better, Keys to a Better Life, Keys to a Better Life. We're taking this from the Beatitudes, which comprise the first 12 verses of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. So let's begin reading with verse 1, and we'll focus today on verse 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I would guess that all of us would welcome a better life than what we have, even though for most of us, life is pretty good right now. But even for those of us who have good lives, we always would like them to be better. And you show us how to do that. But what's so ironic and surprising, even shocking, is that what you are telling us in these verses is very different from what we have heard in other places. And so, Lord, we're having to grapple with the fact that what you teach us are the keys to a better life are counter, they run counter to everything that this world teaches us. But Lord, we know one thing, and that is that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and what you tell us is true. So Lord, as hard as it may be, as against the grain as it may appear, help us to follow you no matter where you lead and no matter what you tell us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mo better, keys to a better life. So far, I've given you three keys. The first one, which is the most important one, is uh, that if you want a better life, it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ in which you're not just a spectator, but you are a serious follower of Jesus. The world is full of spectators. The world has only a few true followers, people who are serious about their commitment to the Lord Jesus. But being serious, a serious follower of Christ is where a real better life begins. That's key number one. Key number two was found in verse two, where Jesus said, or verse three, where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the key there was that... uh, Uh, cultivating humility in your life is essential if you want the result to be that you experience a better life. Humility because 
We are drawn to humble people, and when you and I are humble, people are drawn to us. We are repulsed by arrogant people, by prideful people, by obnoxious people, but we're drawn to humble people. Not only are we drawn to humble people, but the Lord is also drawn to us when we cultivate humility. And so, uh, with the Lord with the Lord being drawn to us and other people being drawn to us, those are the two elements of a better life. Closeness with God, closeness with uh, other people. So humility is a key. The third key last week we found was that when we grieve, that's an odd statement, isn't it? When we grieve, when we mourn with other people, we are well on our way to a better life. And it's not that we should be crying all the time, but it's it's a matter of if, if when we are able to empathize with other people in their pain, in their struggles, in their grief, we are drawn to them and we're also drawn to the Lord. Jesus was known as a weeping Savior. He wept over Jerusalem. He wept over Lazarus being dead, uh, his good friend Lazarus. And he is closely associated in the Old Testament with the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was known to be a weeping prophet. So when we grieve with other people, we identify with Jesus as well as identify with those people in their grief. We're talking about keys to a better life. Now that brings me to the fourth key that we're going to find in verse five of these Beatitudes, where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, what Jesus is telling us here simply is that meekness, whatever meekness is, is a key to experiencing a better life. And he doesn't just leave it there. He goes on to say this. It is those who are meek who will end up owning the earth. The meek will end up owning the earth. He doesn't say that about anybody else. He says the meek are blessed because they will inherit the earth. It's not going to be the powerful who end up owning the earth. It's not going to be the influential. It's not going to be the the super mega wealthy. It's not going to be the famous person. It's going to be the meek person, Jesus says, who ends up owning the earth. That's That's a pretty high calling. I mean, just knowing that how Jesus looks upon those who are meek as blessed as people who are going to inherit the earth, it makes me kind of want to be a meek person. Here's the big, the big problem, though. <laughs> what in the world does it mean to be meek? What does it mean? Well, the Bible uses several references to people being meek. In Psalm 37, verse 11, we find that the Bible says the meek shall possess the land and delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Jesus talks here about the meek. In Numbers chapter 12 in the Old Testament, we find Moses, he has just led the uh, Israelite people out of Egyptian slavery. They're in the Arabian desert. And he's trying to tell the people what to do. He's trying to be the leader that God has called him to be. But there are some folks who are jealous of Moses' leadership. Among them are Moses' brother Aaron and his sister Miriam. They are jealous of Moses. And they began to question Moses. The the surface reason why they start questioning Moses is this. Moses' first wife has died and he has later Uh, married a Cushite woman, a woman from Cush, which is from the area of Ethiopia, and they don't like her. 
Moses' brother and sister do not approve of the woman that Moses has married. And so they began criticizing Moses. And in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, Miriam and Aaron say this. They say, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? And the Lord heard their grumbling. And he called them to come out and meet him at the tent of meeting. And then there's a verse. This is, a, this is an incredible verse here, especially because we, we think of Moses as being the author of the book of Numbers. And this is one verse that tells us that maybe he didn't author all of it, but here's the verse. Now, the man Moses was very meek and humble, more meek and more humble than all the men who are on the face of the earth. It's very doubtful that Moses would have said that about himself because he wouldn't have been so humble, would he? But somebody else must have mentioned that about him and inc- incorporated, into the, uh, incorporated it into the book of Numbers after Moses' death. But here's the point. Moses was recognized more than anything else as a man who was meek. Now, when I think of meek, what I've been told about meekness, what I've been led to believe about meekness I'm sorry, folks, Moses is not the person whose, whose face comes to mind. He's not the one I picture. I mean, typically, when we think about meekness, we think about mild-mannered, lowly, quiet, passive, shy, timid, soft-spoken, weak, And certainly Moses wasn't soft-spoken. Certainly Moses was not weak. He was not passive. He was not shy. He wasn't lowly. Here is a man who was a giant of uh, the, the history of Israel. When people in the New Testament look back upon Israelite history, they thought about Abraham and Moses of the two legends of the Israelite family line. And so he wasn't anything to be with meek. So what in the world is meekness? Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. They're the ones who are to be blessed. What what is meekness? Well, maybe we ought to start out by what meekness is not. Maybe that's an easier question to answer. What is meekness not? Well, meekness, first of all, is not weakness. Otherwise, Moses wouldn't be meek. Meekness is not timidity. It's not being shy. Moses, although there were times when he resisted, he hesitated doing what the Lord wanted him to do. There was not a shy bone in his body. There wasn't a shy bone in Jesus' body. So meekness is not timidity. Meekness is not softness, softness to the point of being uh, uh, fragile It's not softness and it's not fragility. It's not something that if you touch it, it's going to immediately start to crumble away. Many, many of us, I mean, just a single word sends us into rage or sends us into tantrum. For some of us, just a single word offends us to the point that we just can't seem to operate. None of those things is meekness. So what is meekness? Well, to begin with, let's go here. Meekness is, is strength or power under control. All right, so instead of weakness, think of it this way. Meekness is p- 
power, it is strength, but it is a, it is a strength that is, that is subject to self-control. It is, it is subject to not only self-control, but the control of the Holy Spirit over our lives. It is strength under control. Now, I want you to think about world history for a minute. And think about the great conquerors, the great leaders throughout world history. There have been those who have attempted to conquer the, the, the world. Some of them have succeeded in large part in, in conquering the world. There have been the, the likes of the pharaohs of Egypt. There has been Alexander the Great. There was Genghis Khan, there was Napoleon Bonaparte, there were the Caesars, the emperors of Rome, there was Adolf Hitler. And, and the, but the thing about it is, all of these people failed. They tried to conquer the world, but they failed to conquer the whole world. What they were successful in doing was they could control large numbers of people. They could convince large swaths of people to follow in the direction that they wanted these people to go in. So they all failed in their ultimate objectives. They all had the power to control people. But here, here is the third common characteristic that these leaders had, Napoleon, Hitler, Genghis Khan, uh, the Caesars, Here, here's the one common trait they had that really sunk them. It was this, they could control hundreds of thousands of other people, but they could not bring themselves under control. They could not control the appetite that was within their own hearts and minds. And folks, it is better to be able to control yourself than it is to be able to control great numbers of people. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says this, better a patient man than a warrior. Better is a man who controls his temper than one who can take a city. So meekness comes into play when we are able to control our own behavior, control our own emotions, control the way that we respond to the circumstances of our lives, to what people may say and do to us or say about us. It is strength under control. The word meekness in the Greek language, Greek is the language of the New Testament. That word is a word that refers to a wild horse that has become obedient to the bit and the bridle. It is the picture of a horse that's out in the wild and it's wild. It's, it's virtually untamable, but the right kind of person can take that horse with a bit and a bridle and can over time break that horse to the point where that massive strength of that horse comes under the control of the rider. And the question for you and me is, are we under the control of our Savior? Or are we still like a wild horse that's bucking out in the, in, the, in the desert, out in the woods? Are we someone who is willing to come under the submissiveness or to submit to our Lord? Meekness is strength under control. Secondly, meekness is gentleness. Now, I hesitate to say this because, again, this pulls us back. We think about someone who's gentle. We think about someone who's soft. And that, that may be the case. But here, gentleness comes 
without separating it from this idea of strength under control, power under control. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit or the result, the, the behavioral result of a person who is under the control of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse, beginning with verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, that is the way you'll act when you're under the Spirit's control is like this. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Gentleness. That's the, that's the first word in verse 23. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Now, the Greek word that's translated gentleness right there is the exact same Greek word that is translated meek in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And so what we're talking about here is, is gentleness. That is, is a gentleness that comes not out of being soft or not out of being weak, but it is a, it is a gentleness that comes out of strength. You know, sometimes it takes a lot of willpower and a lot of intentionality to be gentle. Many of us can lose our, our temper. Many of us can be overly passionate about something and can lash out at people, but it is the gentle person who has a propensity, has a tendency to be uh, raging, but, but can, can hold that in into a gentle state. That is the person that Jesus is referring to as meek. So meekness is strength under control. Meekness is gentleness. And then third, you ready for a bad word? Are you ready for a bad word? It's a D word. Are you ready for this? Meekness requires, here it is, discipline. Y'all thought it was a different D word, didn't you? Discipline. That's a bad word. Discipline. If you want something badly enough, you have to do, you have to commit yourself, you have to do what is necessary to discipline yourself in order to get it. I heard the, the mythical story about a wise man who lived up in a mountainside cabin. And he, was, uh, he, he stayed there in isolation all the time. And one day there was this young man, a would-be disciple of this older man. He, he made his way up to the mountainside cabin. He knocked on the door. The man opened the door. What do you want? He says, I want to be uh, your disciple. I want to learn from you. And the wise man slammed the door in his face. Next day. Young man comes back up to the, to the cabin again, knocks on the door. The, the old man opens up the door. What do you want? I want to be uh, your disciple. I want to learn from you. And the old man spat in his face and slammed the door. Next day, <laughs> next day, the young man comes up to the man's door. He knocks on the door. He opens up the door. What do you want? I want to be your disciple. I want to be a learner. And the wise man took a broomstick and he started beating the guy, beat him off his porch. And then he slammed the door again. <laughs> next day, I know what you're thinking. You're saying there wouldn't be a next day with me. Next day, the young man comes up, he knocks on the door. The man opens up the door. What do you want? He says, I want to be your learner. I want to be a disciple. And the, and the old man said, well, come in. I was just waiting to make sure you were serious. How serious are we about being 
the persons Christ wants us to be? And how serious are you and I about the goals in our life? Number one, if you have goals in your life, and and, and I hope you do have goals for your life, but they ought to be challenging enough that they require discipline to accomplish. If your goals, if my goals aren't challenging enough to require discipline, then they aren't challenging enough. We need goals that are high enough and challenging enough that they require discipline on our part. I saw a book recently written by a fellow by the name of Jocko Willink. Jocko Willink. He wrote a book entitled Discipline Equals Freedom, a field manual. Now, Jocko Willink was a Navy SEAL for 20 years. He served in the Iraq War, and uh, he became the most decorated special operations unit officer in the Iraq War in the U.S. Navy SEALs program. And somebody asked him about the the relationship between discipline and freedom. You know, normally we think about, oh gosh, if I have to go through discipline, if I have to force myself to to do a certain thing and do it frequently and, and regularly, daily, weekly, monthly, it's like I'm enslaving myself. But but Willink says, no, no. He says, he says, while discipline and freedom seem like they sit on opposite sides of the spectrum. He says they are actually very connected. Freedom is what everyone wants to be able to do. We want to be able to act and live with freedom. But then he says this, watch this. But the only way to get to a place of freedom is through discipline. You want financial freedom? You're going to have to exercise financial discipline. You want more free time to spend with your family? Then you're going to have to follow a more disciplined time management system. You're going to have to be willing, you're going to have to have the discipline to say no to certain good things so that you can say yes to the most important things. He says, he says you have to be able to put away the things that eat up your time with no payback. Things like random YouTube videos or clickbait on the internet or events that you agree to attend even though you really don't want to go. Discipline equals freedom. And that applies, he says, to every aspect of your life. You want to be physically fit? It's going to require discipline on your part to exercise and eat right. You want to quit smoking? That requires discipline. You want to be a better husband or a better wife? That takes discipline. You want to be a better worker? You want to be a better father, mother? That takes discipline. The things that are most important in life are also the most challenging to achieve, and they are challenging in that they require discipline. They require that we focus our attention on them and, and, and block out anything else that would keep us from accomplishing those goals. We're talking about meekness here. It's a very misunderstood word. It looks like it's about this tall when really it's as big as this building. It is power under control, and yet it's gentle. But it requires discipline. It requires willpower. It requires an energy source that comes from heaven. And involves the Holy Spirit. What is it you want to do in your life? 
And are you willing to pay the price to get it? I'm talking about having a better life. It begins with being serious about Jesus. It continues by cultivating humility and empathy. And it also continues by exercising discipline in your walk so that what God has given you to accomplish, you set your mind to accomplish it. Listen, you and I can have better lives than what we have. But it's not going to be easy. A lot of times we think about Jesus, we think that he only is interested in getting us to heaven when we die. He is interested about that. That's the reason he died on the cross. He wants us to be in heaven with him. But let me tell you, that's not the only thing on his mind. He's not so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. He wants us to go to heaven. He wants us to have eternal life there and then. But he wants us to experience abundant life here and now. And he tells us how to do it. But here's the problem. It goes against everything we have been led to believe. (laughs) Jesus is counter your culture. Because Jesus is countercultural. The question is... Are we going to follow him regardless of the culture? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when I look back at the most important goals in my life that you have helped me to accomplish, they require discipline. They require self-control. And when I look back over the longer list of the many goals that I haven't accomplished in my life, I know that what caused me to fail in those was a lack of discipline, a lack of self-control, a lack of meekness. Lord, you are our example of the person who is meek. You are our example of the person who has power, but under control. And Lord, you're the one who's showing us these keys to a better life. We thank you for loving us to the point that that's what you want for us. Help us to follow it. In Jesus' name, amen.